Amen. Good morning. Praise God. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, amen. Come on, right? So I always say this to my church, and I'll say it to you too. You look beautiful even with your masks on. Amen. Beautiful even with masks on. And, and uh, uh, praise God. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. It's always an honor to be worshiping with you and to be praising God with you and to certainly stand behind the pulpit of this pulpit because I regard this pulpit to entertain the preacher of preachers, and that's your pastor. And uh, he, is, uh, he sets the pace for all of us, <clears throat> and um, I'm honored. And so I want to say thank you, Pastor Angel and Pastor Dominis. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, it just, uh, I love them. How many love your pastors this morning? Amen. <laughs> Amen. I do too. I love them too. And uh, so good to see all of you. And a little bit different times, right? A little, little bit different right now, a little foreign to us. But, hey, we've done it before. We'll do it again. God's done it before. And he'll do it again. Amen. Abraham, beautiful worship, man, always, like always. I mean, it doesn't matter what time of the year or when I come down here, second to none, always. And uh, so, man, just so moved and proud of you guys. And uh, thank you for always pressing, always pressing, always pressing. Uh, you guys are so awesome. Uh, I love being here. I love this. is such a beautiful church. I love being here. And uh, um, just something about these stained glass windows. I mean, I can't stop looking at them. Sometimes I get distracted. I do. I get distracted by them because when the sun's coming through, it's like I just keep looking at them, but they're so beautiful. Amen. Praise God. I love being here. Um, Excuse me. I wanted to share with you this morning a word uh, out of the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I forgot to send it. Rupert, did you get it? No? Okay. That's that's fine. I I thought I sent it to you guys, but uh, that's okay. I remember the days when we didn't have to send notes, right, to the to media. And uh, remember the days of the old uh, overhead projector? And the <laughs> we thought that was cutting edge. We're like, oh, man, what, we're putting away the hymnals and we're going to worship with an overhead projector? That's sacrilege. I mean, it's like, man, that's. But uh, <clears throat> I've been sharing from the book of Nehemiah with my church. And, uh, um, and I wanted to share this word with you guys today. I, I really feel it's a, a word that the Lord has impressed on my heart. Uh, Nehemiah was a repairer of the breach. Repairer of the breach. You know, and, and the best way to kind of talk about what a repairer of the breach is, it's like when you're trying to get from one side of the, the, the bridge to another, you're going to walk around, across the planks, but there's planks missing. So as the planks are missing, somebody needs to repair that bridge. That's what Nehemiah was. Nehemiah knew that there were planks missing in the wall of Jerusalem. And so he became the repairer of the breach. He was living a cush life. He was a cupbearer to the king. And so he was living among all the best that the king had. He was living in wealth. He was living in the best of the best. And then one day his brothers approached him and he asked, well, how was, how was Jerusalem doing? After the exile, after they had been captive and by Babylon, then the Assyrians and Persia and on and on. He wanted to know, how are my brothers doing? And I want to know how Jerusalem is. And they told him, well, the walls are burned with fire and they're broken down. The scripture says in in chapter 1, he wept. He wept. He cried. And uh, 
He went to God and he prayed for three months asking God, what can he do? What should he do? And we know that he was released to go build the wall. The king blessed him, gave him the finances, whatever he needed to build the wall. Um, And I want to pick up the story in chapter 4. I want to pick up the story in chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The Word of God says this, But so it happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of, of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the heaps of, from the rubbish? And the stones that are burned. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the proper response to the enemy every time he questions us, Lord. I just praise you and I give you honor and glory. God, bless your word. Bless your servant. Bless your people today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. So I kind of titled this message as five questions the enemy will always ask you to discourage, to discourage you. You see, whenever you get out to do something great, something amazing, the enemy is going to try to discourage you. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you go out, whatever you set out to do, the enemy is going to try to discourage you. In fact, the scripture says here that Sanballat wasn't just trying to discourage. He was first indignant. About what? Oh, that, the, that Israel was going to put a defense wall around them? That Israel was trying to improve their lives? <clears throat> What was he upset about? You see, whenever you're out to do anything good, there's always going to be a hater around the corner. And it starts with Satan himself. But there's always going to be somebody that's going to hate the fact that you're trying to improve. Makes doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's true. It even happens among churches. What? Why is CWC Life still open? What are they doing? Why are they doing this? Why is Pastor Angel still, why are they doing this? You see, the enemy doesn't want to see you do anything good. He doesn't want to see you get healthy. He doesn't want to see your marriage healthy. He doesn't want to see your church on fire, that you have an enemy of your soul. And let me show you a passage in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober. This is 1 Peter verse five and uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, that's one passage, and there's many, but Psalms 143, verse 3, Psalms 143, verse 3 says, For the enemy has pursued my soul. The enemy has pursued my soul. And then we know that John 10, 10 says a thief doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. So we know that we have an enemy. And by the way, we know how to battle this enemy. I know how to battle him. It's like the devil dresses up in all different ways. He doesn't need to dress up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. I know when the devil's out to attack. Sometimes I'll know that just by getting up in the morning. I'm, and, and I get busy and I'm driving down the street. And all of a sudden I run into or, or traffic and someone's flipping me the bird. And I get somewhere else at a store and somebody's now coming against me. Before you know it, we have been trained enough. You have been trained enough by him and by her to know all oh, It's just the devil trying to attack me. It's just the devil trying to take away my joy. It's just the devil trying to take away my peace. But I rebuke him in the name of Jesus because I know I have an enemy of my my soul. 
I know that and you know that. We know how to battle the devil. We know how to battle the enemy. We know how to battle him because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We are good at battling the devil. We're good at that. We have an enemy of our soul. We know how to fight him. We know how to fight him. God has trained us. Your pastor has trained you. We know how to fight the devil. We see him coming, but you know sometimes what we don't see coming is when the attack comes from within. I could see this, the, 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 devil, the, 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 the devil coming miles away. But sometimes it's hard when you get attacked from within. It's like you're on the front lines, and maybe, as, as, and your pastor will know exactly what this means, but you're in warfare. You're dealing in warfare every single day in life, trying to help your family, trying to help your church, trying to get everybody on the same page, and you're plowing, and you're fighting the devil, you're fighting the devil, and all of a sudden you look to your right, hey, wait a minute, what happened to so-and-so? You look to your left, and all of a sudden somebody over here is complaining about something. And you're fighting the devil and you're trying to fight, but then you've got to look to your left and say, well, no, no, hold on now. It's not about that. You stop your complaining. Stop your murmuring. What, what happened to so-and-so? What, where did they go? Oh, they left. They went to another church. Have you ever been punched in the gut? Remember, I don't know, as an adult, I never have, but I, as a kid, I got punched in the gut all the time. And, and, and well, you know what happens? You, you, you lose your wind. Has anybody ever lost their wind? You know what I'm talking about, right? Robert, never? I remember getting punched in the gut and like, oh. Sometimes life has a way of punching you in the gut that way. Sometimes. You see, I expect the devil to launch his attacks. I expect the devil to come up against me. But when the attack comes from within, sometimes I can get winded with that. Nehemiah knew the task ahead of him. He knew that Samaria was all around him. He knew that he had to be careful because of Persia and King Artaxerxes. Oh, he was in favor of him. He still knew that they were his adversary. But all of a sudden, as he starts working on this massive wall that was broken down, burned with fire, he starts hearing people talk. It's like, we're... And he hears Sanballat, this man who wasn't a Jew, but he's in the camp. He's hearing him talk. And he's asking these questions, and he asks him five questions. Five questions. And so I kind of entitled this message, Five Questions the Enemy Will Always Ask You to Discourage You. Five Questions the Enemy Will Always Ask You to Discourage You. This is question number one. What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? It's like, you know, you, you get ready to, 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 to fix your marriage or you get ready to, to reach out to your son or you get ready to reach out to your daughter. You get ready to get that promotion at work and all of a sudden all it takes is one question someone says to you, what do you think you're doing? You're plowing and plowing, you're fighting and you're fighting and someone says, what do you think you're doing? And all of a sudden you got to answer you got to answer. You see, the devil is very slick. 
He might not, he's not going to write on the wall, here comes Satan, I'm coming for you. He's not, he knows that, he knows better, but he might come from within. And you know why he was coming from within the camp of Israel? Because Sanballat's daughter had married a grandson of a Jewish priest. And that Jewish priest was telling Sanballat's daughter what the camp was doing and what Nehemiah was saying. And she would convey that to her dad. And she was sharing intel with her father. And that's why Sanballat rose up. Not just him, but he got the Sumerian army informed. And he was share, they were sharing intel from within the camp. And Nehemiah... He knew what to expect, and he knew the challenges of getting the people together, rallying the people together, building this wall. But then all of a sudden, he gets this attack from within. and said, what do you think you're doing, Nehemiah? You see, when you're out to fix your marriage, the enemy is going to come up with that question. What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? When you're out to reach out to your son, the enemy is going to say to you, what do you think you're doing? You need to have an answer for him. You need to respond with the devil. I'm doing whatever it takes to get my marriage on track. I'm doing whatever it takes to reach out to my son. I'm doing whatever it takes to get my church on fire. I'm doing whatever it takes to get my physical body ready for the task at hand. I'm doing whatever it takes, devil. You got to have a response. You gotta respond. You see, what he's trying to do is he's trying to, you start moving and moving and moving, all of a sudden you hear the question, what do you think you're doing? It makes you think. And it starts affecting your confidence level. And the enemy knows that if he can get you to question yourself, if he can get you to question yourself, he's winning the battle. You see, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Let him ask in faith without doubting, for one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed about like the wind. Let not that that man should expect anything from God. So you're plowing and plowing, and all of a sudden says, What do you think you're doing? Listen. Don't allow the enemy to stop you from what God has placed in your life. Don't allow the enemy. You are called to be a dad. You are called to be a mom. You are called to be a husband. You are called to be a father. You are called to be an usher at your church. You are called to worship God. You are called for this moment, for this time. So the next time somebody says, what do you think you're doing? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What are you doing? I'm doing what I was called to do. What are you doing? you got to have a response. It's time to talk back, church. Did somebody hear that this morning? It's time to talk back. It's time to speak up. Don't get me wrong. Because I wear a mask over my face, my face, i got something to say. I won't be silenced. we got something to say. So the next time you get going, the enemy wants to challenge you with, what do you think you're doing? Just respond back to him. What do you think you're doing? Question number two. The enemy will always ask when you're out to do something great. Do you really think you can improve things? Do you really think you can improve things? 
You see, the enemy wants you to think that the problem or the, the mountain is insurmountable. It's too big. It's almost like this moment we're living in right now, unprecedented. Listen, I'm 59 years old. And most of you aren't as old as I am. Some of you who are or older, you might remember a time kind of like this. It was called the 60s. It was when, you know, today we hear about cops and people hate cops. And, well, when I was a kid, we were told to call cops pigs. It's just what they told us to do. Call cops pigs. My brother was a, a Vietnam veteran, and I remember picking him up at the airport when he came from serving Special forces, he fought in Vietnam. There was no, you know, welcome home hero and flowers and balloons. They debriefed my brother and told him, when you get off the plane, they're going to spit on you. And they're going to call you baby killer. And they're going to hate you. And sure enough, when we got to the airport, he rushed to the car and it was like people were going crazy. And I, didn't, I was just a little boy. I didn't know why. San Francisco was crazy back then. It was crazy. Berkeley was crazy. It was drugs everywhere. It was Pete. There was nudity everywhere. I mean, it was sex on the streets. It was, you think you've seen a lot today. Listen, in the 60s, it was just like this and worse. You see, today, we, our culture, there's some, not us, cultures hate on police departments. Back then, they hated police and they hated the military. It was a crazy time. And then now you add the pandemic upon what we're going through. And then you add now the civil unrest that came out of George Floyd murder. Well, listen, it's a time that we've never seen before. When have you ever sat and had to sit in church with a face mask on? You see, the enemy wants you to think that this situation that you're living in right now is insurmountable. In other words, you can't get over it. You're not going to get over this problem. We were almost over it. Boom, it hits again. Here we are fighting this pandemic again. But I got news for you. God is not moved by any pandemic in this world. You see, God has taken us, the church people, through worse. There was such a thing called leprosy in the Bible that the people of God had to call out to God for. And God took them through. God has taken our country, our people, through AIDS and HIV. He's taken people to the Spanish flu. Guess what? He's going to take us to the coronavirus, church. Don't be dismayed. It's not insurmountable. God is going to get the victory. We started this year out believing that God was going to double bless us 2020. God has not changed his plans. Oh, my goodness, there's a, there's a virus in the land. I, God, better change everything and adjust to that virus. Hey, God is still in control. God is still on the throne. And God is still going to bless you just like he said he would. You've been called for such a time as this. You've been called for this moment. You've been called. You know, they're going to write history books about us. Your pastor and I talk about that. The pandemic of 2020. It's going to be in my... So the Lord Terry, my great-great-grandchildren are going to read about this. And how did we respond? How did we respond? How did we act? Did we lose our faith? Did we... How did we respond? 
Listen, whatever task is at hand, there's always going to be trial, always going to be tribulation. The enemy is always going to put that mountain in front of you. And he's always going to say to you, you can't get over that. Do you really think you can improve your marriage? Do you really think you can improve your city? Do you really think you can improve your country? This country is better because of you. This city is better because this church is a stronghold in this city. Do you really think you can improve things? It's meant to give you doubt. It's meant to disrupt you. It's meant to stop you. But in the name of Jesus, you respond to that question. Absolutely I can. I've been called for such a time as this. I've been called for such a time as this. You see, you carry him. Somebody say him. I'm talking capital H, him. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the king of kings. I'm talking about the rock of my salvation. I'm talking about the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. I'm talking about Jesus. I carry him. So where I go, it's better there. Where you are, it's better there. When you go into Walmart, Walmart just got better. When you go into Costco, Costco just got better. Why? Because you are there. When you go into a family barbecue, it just got better. Why? Because you are carrying him. You've been called for such a time as this. You've been called for this moment. You've been called to 2020. Don't worry about what's happening. God is still in control. And you're going to get better days ahead of you. You're going to see that better day ahead of you. You make this world a better place. It disturbs me when I hear people ready to give up and ready to jump off the cliff. I get that. I get that sometimes despair comes on, folks. That's why I want to remind them, you've been called for this time. And when you leave this earth, if you leave this earth, it's making all of our jobs harder. You've been called for this moment. You've been called to CWC Life Dinuba. You've been called to stand next to that couple right there. You've been called to make this church better. You've been called to make this city better. You've been called to make your family better. You've been called to make your marriage better. You've been called to make your job better. Better. You have been called for this moment. Do you really think you can improve things? Absolutely. You respond confidently with absolutely I can. Absolutely I can. There's a third question the enemy is going to ask and it's this. Are you really going to worship? Notice that Sanballat asked the question, are they going to sacrifice again? Sanballat, he asked the question, are they going to sacrifice? Will they sacrifice again? What does that mean? Will they worship? Wow. There is an attack on our praise right now. There's an attack on our worship right now. You see, the first time around in the pandemic, we all shut down, and rightfully so. We were afraid because they told us that millions were going to die if we didn't. Well, of course we shut down. I remember that night, Pastor Angel. It was a Thursday night. Uh, we were rehearsing at our church. I was walking around the campus with Cal. We were just getting some steps in. And the text came out from the government. California has now been put on shutdown because of the pandemic. I walked into the sanctuary at our church, said to the worship team, hey guys, we've been shut down. You guys might want to, I think, it, we just let's just close it up. Let's go. Everybody did. 
We all rushed to the stores and right, we got all the supplies we needed. We all stocked up on toilet paper. Who would have thought? Who would have thought toilet paper was valuable like that? We all stocked up. We all did. I did. We all did. Got crazy right at Walmart and it got crazy at Costco and nothing was on the shelves and the grocery stores were empty shelves. Okay, right? But you know what? They told us millions were going to die, so you can't blame us. You can't blame us. You can't blame you. We all did what we had to do. But millions didn't die. People have died. Don't get me wrong. And one is one person too many. People have died, but not millions. Thousands have died. But 95% of the people who catch the virus won't even know they have it. 95%. One doctor this week, a scientist said, one doctor, and, and verified by a few others. I was Googling. I Google everything to verify. And, and then I cross-referenced this and cross-referenced that. Children? This is when, well, actually it was Rand Paul, the senator, who's also a physician. He said, children, the mortality rate is one in one million with all the global statistics, one in one million. So it shut us down. All of a sudden, you know, the governor, May 31st, they told us 15 days, and they told us another month. Before you know, we're shut down for three months. We have never, Pastor Angels, was, he was born in the church. I was born in the church. We've never, I have never in my entire life, in 59 years, have ever missed an Easter Sunday morning service. Ever. 59 consecutive services. I missed this year. They shut us down for Easter. Who would have thought? They shut us down for Easter. So May 31st comes around and pastors kind of are getting a little upset. Pastors start pushing back. Your pastor was one of them. I was one of them. And you all opened up on the 31st and you gave, you gave the governor an ultimatum. He says, all right, all right, all right, go, go ahead and open, go ahead and open. But 100 or less, you can't meet more than 100 people. That affects churches. But, okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. And then it starts to uptick again. And what's the first thing he does? Our governor, now, now mind you, I pray for my governor every day. I pray for him every day. But the first thing he does, it's the church's fault. Stop singing. Zip it. And no chanting. I don't know what you call this, but all of you are chanting. Stop your chanting. Stop. Zip it. And pastor, even, even denominational leaders who we respect put out letters and said, uh, let's honor what the governor says. Stop singing. You can find other ways to worship, like bow down quietly in church, and you can worship that way. People said to me, don't be so upset, pastor. Don't be so upset, bishop. You see, the church, when they shut the church down, we can be the church without the church building. Well, sure, of course, we've done it our whole lives. Church happens when we dismiss on Sunday morning. Church happens seven days a week. We know we can be the church without the church building. We've done it. We will do it again. Now, the governor zips our lips and he says, no more singing. No more worship, no more praise. And a lot of Christians, a lot of denominational leaders are like, come on, let's honor, let's honor, let's honor, zip it. 
And I got challenged with some people will say to me, said to me, well, you can worship without singing. Look, thank you for that. Thank you for that knowledge. Thank you. I know I can worship without singing. The question isn't if we can. The question is if we should. Should we? No, we shouldn't. You see, the enemy is going to try to take your praise. That's what Sanballat did. He questioned Nehemiah. Are they going to sacrifice again? Are they going to establish worship again? He specifically attacked the praises of the people of God. And that's exactly what the governor just did. He attacked the praises of the people of God. He said, no more singing. No more prayer. No more chanting. Because you are the ones responsible for the uptick. I didn't say anything about all the protesters with no masks on. They're cramming in thousands at a time all over the nation or all over the state. And no worries. Church's fault. That's what he said. Listen, there was another time. Nehemiah had a great-grandfather who was part of that part of Judah that went and got captured by Nebuchadnezzar. And when he got captured, all the musicians, like Abraham and his team, they took their musicians, they took their instruments, and they hung them on the willow trees. Like, we got nothing to sing about. It's over. We got nothing to sing about. Nothing to play the instrument for. So it would be like Abraham. The governor says, no more singing. Abraham said, all right, I'm done. No more guitar playing. No more rehearsals. We're just going to come together and we're going to pray quietly, but no praise. They hung up their harps on the willow trees. That's what, they, that's what all of Israel did. They hung up their harps on the willow trees and they said, okay, no more singing. You see, the enemy wants to take your praise because if anybody knows how powerful your praise is, it's the devil. If anybody knows how powerful your praise is, it's your enemy of your soul. Why? Because he knows when you begin to praise God, he inhabits the praises of his people. And the last thing the devil wants is for you to praise God so that he's there. That's the last thing the devil wants. And so if the devil can take away your praise, he's going to try to take away your praise. But in the name of Jesus, we respond the way you responded today. By lifting up the King of Kings. By lifting up a name and a praise that is above every name. I'm going to sing louder now. Not in defiance, but I'm going to sing louder because he's worthy of my voice. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of the instruments. He's worthy of the piano. He's worthy of the clapping of hands. And I'm so grateful for pastors like yours because they push back. You see, if we don't push back, you know what ne- what's next to go after our praise? It's the book. In California, if you weren't awake last year, you missed it. They were trying to take away everything we say that's from the book in counseling. It's the next thing to go. But in the name of Jesus, we're going to push back. And when they ask us, are you going to worship? You're doggone right I'm going to worship. You're daggum right. Is that a bad word? Daggum's not a bad word. You're doggone right I'm going to worship, devil. 
You're doggone right I'm going to worship my Jesus. You're absolutely right. I'm going to get my praise on even when I don't feel like praising him. Even when I'm going through the valley. Even when I'm going through tough times. I'm going to sing a song unto my God. Listen, Paul and Silas were told they could no longer preach anymore. But in the midnight hour, they began to sing a song unto God. They began to sing a praise unto God. And God began to shake that jail where they were at. Yes, I'm going to praise, question my worship, and I'm going to respond with, absolutely, I'm going to worship God. The fourth question Sanballat asked, and I'll bring it to a closer really quick. Can he finish the project? Wow. He asked the question, will you, will you guys really finish it? You don't have the resources. You don't have the talent. He was so demoralizing. He was so degrading, feeble Jews, feeble little Mexicans, feeble little CWC Life Dinuba. Look at you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You think you can change the nation? What are you going to do? You think you can change your marriage? You know, we get the books out. I'm, I'm going to get fired up. I'm going to do what I can to be a better husband. I'm going to do what I can to be a better wife. Or I'm going to do what I can to be a better father or a better son. And we, we get this fire in, in us. And it's like, all right, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work. And all of a sudden, it's like, are you going to finish what you started? Because you're a quitter and you always quit everything. Can you finish this project? The enemy thinks that you're not enough. The enemy thinks that you don't measure up. But in the name of Jesus, you respond with, I am a child of God. And whatever I start, I'm going to finish. You see, Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So when someone asks the question, are you going to be able to finish the project? Do you have the resources you need? Do you have the talent you need? How do you respond? You respond with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things, not some, not a thing, not even this thing. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. All things. That's how you respond to the enemy. And lastly, this morning, the enemy will ask you a fifth question. Is it even worth it? Is it even worth it? Hmm. You see, Nehemiah went out at night and he looked at the walls. You know what he saw? He saw a walls that were broken, burned down with fire, useless. But you know, Nehemiah didn't see how things were. Nehemiah had the amazing ability to see how things are going to be. The enemy wants you to get focused right now on this day. And if you watch MSNBC or CNC, CNN, you watch the news, and you're going you're gonna to be focused on the moment only. Now, listen, I watch the news. I'll, I'll, I'll watch and I'll research. I'll do what I got to do because I feel it's my duty to prepare my church just like your pastor does. But I'm not caught up in the moment here. 
I'm not caught up in this moment. This isn't my new normal. This isn't your new normal. It won't be long, church. So we're in this place and saying, you know what? I kicked that virus's butt. Now, if I can cuss, I'd say something different right about that point. I ain't lying. I kicked that virus's rear end. My church kicked that virus's rear end. And I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. I want to remind myself of what I'm called to do. So like this, you know, we, like you, we, we go through all the protocols. We were told that we can't meet indoors, but, you know, we, we're indoors just like you. We're, it's, it's hot and outside. We stand under the First Amendment rights, right? We have rights, but more than that, we stand and worship with each other and of God. We worship Him. And we see how things are going to be. You know what I did recently, what I've done recently, Pastor Angel? I've gone through my photo lists and I pulled out because right now, you know, we took out probably half, more than half of our chairs and there's about 40% of CWC coming to church right now, Manteca, about 40% of our church. The other 60% isn't coming. Some people aren't coming because of the pandemic and who knows why everybody else isn't coming. Anyway, it is what it is. It's just reality right now. It's not my new normal, but it's just the way it is. But you know what? pulled out my photo list and I started to look at the church when it was packed out wall to wall people when the altars were filled with people when people lifting their hands not six feet from each other but shoulder to shoulder at the altars hugging each other weeping before the Lord I began to see this I wanted to remind myself of how things were but then the Lord began to tell me it's going to be better than that it's going to be greater than that ah your best days are not behind you this is not your new normal it's going to get better so when the enemy says is it even worth it absolutely it's worth it absolutely it's worth it we have been called for such a time as this. We have been called to make this world better. Things are going to get better. So stop looking at what's in front of you and seeing how bad things are right now. Start seeing ahead and start hearing the word greater. Start hearing the word blessed. Start hearing the word God is in control and things are going to be better. CWC Live, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you. In the name of Jesus, come on somebody. Get ready. I keep hearing that in my soul. Get ready. I keep hearing that in my spirit. Get ready. This pandemic is not my new normal, neither is yours. It's not your new normal. Get ready, church. You're about to see your best days. I prophesy that over this church. I prophesy that over your pastors. In the name of Jesus, your best days have not been seen. Your best days still need to be discovered. They're ahead of you. I speak that over your marriage. I speak that over your children. I speak that over your finances. I speak that over your physical health in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Every eye closed, please, and every head bowed right now. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. 
I just speak blessing over you right now in the name of Jesus. If you need a blessing right now, if you've been going through it, maybe a little bit depressed or I don't know, maybe a little bit taken by the moment. And you just I just need a I just need to hear uh, something good right now. I just needed to hear that word. Just raise your hand. I needed that word this morning. Yep. All over this place in Jesus name. Receive it. Your best days are ahead. Receive that. Your best days are ahead. Receive that. Receive it in the name of Jesus. Blessings on your marriage right now in Jesus' name. You have not seen the best days in your marriage. They're still ahead. Blessings on your children. Take your eyes off what they're doing and start seeing what they're going to do. Start seeing what God wants to do in their lives. Start declaring that over your children. If you need a financial blessing this morning, I speak double blessing upon your finances right now in Jesus' name. Double blessing in Jesus' name upon your finances. Receive that. Upon your physical body, I plead the blood of Jesus upon you. When that virus ever tries to knock on your door, he'll notice that you're covered by the blood of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, whatever you're fighting right now, whatever's taking place in your physical body, I declare you as whole. I declare you as healed right now. There's an anointing in this house right now. Hallelujah. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive it right now in Jesus' name. Push back. Push back. Push back. In the name of Jesus, push back. When the enemy tries to question you, question the enemy. Push back. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many received that word this morning? Hallelujah. You are fierce. The enemy doesn't know who he's messing with. You're fierce. You're a weapon in God's hands. And your best days are ahead of you and not behind you. I speak that over this church. Double blessing, double portion. In Jesus' name, I speak that over you, Pastor Angel, Pastor Damaris. Your best days are still ahead. You haven't seen them yet. Oh, you, you can write your book. If it all ended today, you can write your books. And how amazing it's been. But there's some chapters to be written that are going to blow you away. I prophesy that over you in the name of Jesus. There's some chapters to be written that are going to amaze you. Amaze you. I speak that over you right now. 